Let's Keep It Going, the podcast of Emmaus Church, where we sit down with Pastor Nick to have extended discussion over last week's message, in the hope that it inspires ideas in and around the Emmaus Church community. If you missed last week's message, have a question, or just want to know more about Emmaus Church, you can visit us at www.emmauschurchsc.com. Now, let's keep it going. Hey, Nick. Hi, Lindsay. What's up? I'm just hanging out here in our house, decorated for Christmas. You have it all ready, don't you? We did. It's earlier than I would like. It's Uh, earlier than we usually do. But the next two weekends, we are going to be gone. And then I like to decorate a lot for Christmas. And so I don't want to put all that work in for something that's only up for like, I want to be sick of it, right? Mm -hmm. Before we take it down. So yeah. What about you? We'll decorate this weekend. Okay. When Matt has a day off, which is early for us. Mm. I'm um I'm I'm a recovering Grinch. Like I used to be uh, not so into it, uh-huh. and in the last two years, like I'm I'm stepping up my what game. What was the thing that happened last year that meant? Like I remember having this conversation with you and Matt. I know then, I can't remember either. And then you did something that surprised him a lot, or something. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know, I probably decorated. Yeah, <laughs> probably went out and was put his, some effort. Was it his buddy the elf costume that won you over? Yeah, yeah, for sure. He has one. Do you have any, um, I don't want to say it's like a holiday tradition, but like something you do around the holidays that's like obscure, like beyond like the decorating or the movies you watch or the family routines. Is there anything you do this time of year Hmm. and it's the holidays that like reminds you to do it? We do a lot of the normal, you know, baking, cook, eating, movies, all we like. That's, I'm starting, I have a weird fascination with this is gonna sound really out like the more pagan roots of the holiday (laughs) (laughs) Um, like tell me more well like i love how the the early christians folded it in i think it's beautiful but i'm just fascinated by this time of the year and how it's been observed by humans for such a long time and it all hints at the uh, what the things that we claim happened with jesus you know but like the dark and and uh, you know I, I do a lot of like historical podcasts during this time mm-hmm. of the year. I listen to like you know British BBC podcasts on ancient British Christmas traditions. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I can tell you about any of it. You know, like the Christmas tree that came from Germany. Um, but it's all this defiance. It's like brutal outside and everything's dead. And so that humans would decorate their houses with greenery and light it up as kind of like a way of giving a big middle finger to like the dark cold. Right. You know, I love that. I absolutely love it. So I kind of, I thought about this year making old food. Like you can get recipes for like ancient food they would eat. And apparently it tastes awful because mm-hmm. they didn't use all the right. flavors that we use now. So <laughs> Not I, nearly I, enough preservatives. I'm about to have some obscure traditions. So... I just had this thought. We were in San Diego last week, and mm-hmm. guess what they had there? What? I thought of you. Huh. A meadery. A mead. 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 Meadery. Mead. Ah. Meader. That's fun. I know. I thought Nick would love that. Grape beer. I like it. Do you want to know my obscure yeah. tradition? Yeah. And like, it, this is really going to define our two personalities here. <laughs> Yours is learning more obscure facts. Mm-hmm. Mine is on Black Friday every year. I clean out my email, and I unsubscribe from everything, like all those automated, but I make everything? it my yearly tradition. Like, you know, when you buy anything, you know, you are then getting daily emails from them. Uh-huh. So on Black Friday, I just clean, like 
I'll start unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Huh. I make it my day to do it. And that's it brings f- me so much joy. That's a fun tradition. Is it? Yeah, I really <laughs> I think that's really cool. All right. Forgiveness of sins. We're getting close to finishing this up. I know. Is this longer than uh No. No. The big picture? Yeah. No. How long was the big that picture? That was like three months at least. What are we at? Six, we're gonna be at six weeks with this one? Mm-hmm. That's about our norm, actually. Yeah. For a series. But yeah, forgiveness of sins. We got into some spicy stuff. Yeah. Potentially spicy. Yeah. You you made it sound like it was around universalism. Like you wanted to dig in a little bit more about that. You want to just start there? Yeah. And, you know, I didn't hear this term until, well, I kind of heard it, but I didn't really pay attention to it until like Rob Bell Mm -hmm. was a pastor that so many people loved. I mean, to be really honest with you, Rob's a big reason why I decided to be a pastor. He was the first pastor I came across that I felt like, okay, you know, my pastor back home growing up in Indiana wore cowboy boots and a lariat and had a mullet, and he was an awesome guy. But when I started thinking about maybe I'm supposed to be a pastor, and he's who I thought of, and his sermons would have 85 points, and they all start with the same letter, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't, I don't identify. And then somebody gave me this Rob Bell Numa video, and I was like, oh my goodness, yes. And but he wrote a book, I think it was like 2011, called Love Wins, mm-hmm. where he he started exploring some of this stuff, or at least pointing it out. And people lost their minds in the church. And um, yeah, it really bugged me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because as I've since then, you know, I've learned more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've grown more and matured more in my faith. And I look back on all that, and I probably was like, "Ee, Rob Bell, too. You know, yeah. universalism is just scary. But, like, now I'm realizing, no, this is, um, it's not a heresy. You know, now, it's just, when you look back through church history, there has been a minority, it's probably a small, smaller minority, um, but with, who would hold this to, hold to this position, but they're never considered heretics. Right. Um, you know, and as you, if you get closer to the time of Jesus, the more of them you find. So Origen was a church leader right after the time of Jesus. And he was a, I mean, when you when you look at some of the the wealth of that time, the knowledge, the the writings, he's responsible for so much of it. He's probably the first, what you would call systematic theologian. He synthesized the doctrines of the church. He was a universalist, you know? So what was crazy to me was like, man, Rob's just pointing out things that have been pointed out long time ago, right? and we're re- reacting this way, you know? Well, I guess my question is, if you were a practicing universalist, does it look much different than how you and I practice, Mm-mm. or is it really just in how you view others and or the world, really, yeah. and what happens to us? Like, does I, it really affect your day-to-day faith? Maybe on the extreme edges of it, you know, like I would say... The, I guess my question is, why would it bother people so much? To- well, I, well, I think there's the establishment, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, who really likes the way things are now. And universal, universalism can be a bit of a threat to that. So, like, a lot of churches grow their base, you know, out of, like, fear. Um, if you're not right, right with God, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to end up here. And that's going to be awful, but we know how to get you out of it. You know, keeps a lot of people in a community, you know. Right. 
Uh, so this can be seen as a threat to that because you can you can draw lines and connections that I don't think are actually very accurate. You know, like based on a based on a uh, underdeveloped understanding of universalism, you could draw conclusions like, well, we don't need to talk to people about Jesus. We don't need to. You know, everybody always everybody ends up there anyway. Or um, and that to, that can sound threatening. Hmm. You know, to people who. Hey, the way we present it's working for us, right? And we need people to need us. And if this is suggesting that they don't actually need us, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it kind of t- takes away the need to the fear, or the concern about everyone being saved. If mm-hmm. if we're all going to be saved at yeah. the end, anyways. Which again, I think is actually a pretty. Uh, it's not a very accurate understanding mm-hmm. of universalism that would lead to that sort of critique. You know? Yeah. Which is. What I, oftentimes what I find to be the case, you know, you you engage in a conversation with people about it that are like kind of alarmed, and they there's a difference between what they'll. I already ask them, well, what do you think universalism is, and they'll explain it. And I'm like, no, that's not actually universalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like I wanted to to bring it up, not because I want to convince people to be one, because I don't even know that I'm one. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, um, but more so the weird reaction that I witnessed in the church of this sort of like, these are heretics that are, we have to get rid of and we mm-hmm. have to undermine. And if you're one of these, then you're dangerous. I'm like realizing that's not the case. I felt that way at the mm-hmm. time. I was like, Rob, why can you? And now I'm kind of like, oh, wait, like this is a Orthodox Christian position, mm-hmm. one that you can have, you know? And I, I just wanted to make that clear, you know? Will you tell the story about Penn? I thought that was a good. Oh, Yeah. That's based on one of our preliminary podcast <laughs> conversations. Um, well, it was started off by a good question, though, that you asked is what sparked that. You know, like, so universalism claims that eventually everybody, eventually, that's the key word, we'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. Eventually, everyone will be won over by the grace of God. Everybody will be reconciled to God. Everybody will be saved, right? Um and some of the, you know, fear is like, well, then why do we need to evangelize or whatever? Mm-hmm. But that's not the question you asked. You asked, doesn't that still sound arrogant? Yeah, I was like, if 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 everyone in, for us to say, or for a universalist to say, uh, we all end up saved eventually, mm-hmm. isn't it still really arrogant to just assume that we've got it all right? Yeah, Right. And and the universalist is can be very they, they they will be very strong about the uniqueness of Jesus mm-hmm. that in the end whatever salvation means and whoever say it's saved is because of Jesus like so they will they they can be even more dogmatic about that than non universalist it mm-hmm. is Jesus that saves us right and so there is a weird uh, people can get uncomfortable with that because it feels too exclusive it feels too we're saying everybody else is wrong but right. I um I remember uh, listening to an interview with Penn from Penn and Teller, who's an atheist, very, you know, outspoken one, talking about a guy who gave him a Bible after a show and told him that he was praying for his salvation or whatever, and mm-hmm. how a lot of people would be like, you know, ah, oh, I can't believe that, proselytizing or whatever, it's gross. And he goes, but I, I have a lot of respect for him because if he really believes what he says he believes, that apart from Jesus, I'm going to spend eternity frying in hell, then why wouldn't you try to tell people? Right. Why, why wouldn't you be trying to, you know— convince people to follow Jesus. He's like, the, he said something along the lines of like the worst kind of Christians are the ones who believe in that sort of re, that sort of reality and then and do, don't, don't do, do anything, anything about it. it. It's like watching, I remember him saying, it's like watching somebody step off a curb in front of a bus 
and doing nothing about it. I was like, dang. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, I do think I get the whole un, being uncomfortable with making exclusive claims, you mm-hmm. know? Because I do affirm. I think as world religions go, there's a lot of beauty in all of them, but I think they're, they're, they don't say the same thing when, it, when you get down to it. I think the fullest picture of God, what I hope God is like, I think it's Jesus. It's beautiful. And it brings, the Jesus story brings pieces to, to all of those that I think are missing. Um, but to affirm that, I think I likened it to this. It's like, man, if there's this rampant disease out there, it's killing people like crazy. And you know, you you have the antidote, like the thing that can heal people, mm-hmm. you know? Insisting that people take this antidote is the most loving thing you can actually right. do, you know? And I, I feel that way about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think when I look at the mess of the world, I believe that Jesus is the antidote. Like, and so for me to, to affirm that and to encourage people to trust Jesus, man, if I really believe that, then I, I, I need to be encouraging people. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It creates some urgency mm-hmm. around it, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, universalism. Can we talk a little bit more about it? Like sure. What it, what it is, what it isn't? Sure. Yeah, I think um, some of the misunderstandings that often come up around it is that it's uh, it doesn't believe in a judge. They don't believe in a judgment or like a hell or anything like that. And that's not that's not always true. Um, universalists would say, affirm that there is some type of judgment and even some form of hell, but they would argue that it's not permanent, that it's for a time. And there's a lot of biblical evidence for this. Um, I mean, even the phrase eternal life or eternal punishment, you can say like Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this. Probably probably the most Jesus talks about end time stuff, like actual end time stuff is Matthew 25. And he uses these two phrases, eternal eternal destruction or eternal life. That word eternal is interesting. In the Greek, it's aeon, and it, it has several different meanings. Um, one of those meanings is for a time. So think about think about aeon. That sounds like our aeon, mm-hmm. right? An aeon for us is not forever. Mm-hmm. It's for an era, time, you know? So it's a time of punishment. Um, but I think what what universal would say is that after death there is this intermediate period where there could potentially be some sort of judgment happening there with the goal of purifying and winning that person over to the love and grace of God so it's like they will eventually be saved. This is an opportunity to respond to God's grace even after death. Okay. That's what universals argue. And there's biblical evidence for that. Um, but they're not saying that everybody, no matter what you did, everybody's just automatically in. Does that make sense? Okay. There's, a, there's a progression to it. But, but the final stage, the end game is everybody is reconciled to God. Everybody is saved. Um, so I think that's the unique distinction there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? For sure. But... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, we could spend forever going all, over all the biblical evidence, but I, I'll save that for people who maybe want to get coffee. Well, what do you think judgment would look like? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I look at it like this. Um, the, we believe that God is love, right? That's, that's, that's the essence of God, of who, who God is, what God is like. 
I think it's possible to live your life either in more conformity with love or against it, you know, which is real. People, people choose that. I mean, there's some, there's, there's real evil in the world, mm-hmm. you know. I think judgment is, is this, the work that happens when somebody who's lived their life away from God towards ego, selfishness, whatever, when that person is in the presence of love, it's going to be painful, you know, mm-hmm. so I think I don't think ju- the judgment of God is ever violent. Um, it's not you know God whipping people or torture. I think it's more like exposure, mm-hmm. you know. And when somebody's become so accustomed to the dark, light can hurt. Does that make sense? Yeah, it'd be uncomfortable. So it's perceived as like it's painful, mm-hmm. but it's it's less about like God intentionally torturing somebody, and it's more about exposure to love, which in my mind, kind of burns away mm-hmm. everything that isn't love. And that process isn't enjoyable. You know, it isn't pleasant. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a really great short stories and allegory about all this called The Great Divorce. And there's this, you know, intermediate place called the Gray Town where everybody starts out and it's dreary and rainy and it's not, you know, it's not great. But every now and then a bus comes and takes people to the fair country. Again, it's all allegory, Right. And what's so interesting is when people can first get off the bus in the fair country, even though it's beautiful, they usually hate it because they're not fully solid for some mm-hmm. reason and their feet hurt when they step on the grass. Like it's sharp and it hurts and the colors are too vibrant and it hurts their eyes and all the no- all the sounds are really loud and they're like, ugh. And so usually they get they just go, they get back on the bus and go back to the gray town. They mm-hmm. don't want to. But the people who decide to stay, they end up becoming more solid and they begin adjusting to things and they they begin to like love it and mm-hmm. they – I love that kind of like way of illustrating, but I think the Bible sort of suggests, you know, whatever the end of life is like, that transition time, it's this purification that moves us more towards love and it burns away everything in us that's not love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be perceived as like painful, but yeah. it's, you know, it's a purifying. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it speaks to motivating yourself to live Mm-hmm. a certain way today. Yep. And I just think we got to be careful about being too dogmatic mm-hmm. about what the Bible says about end mm-hmm. of life or yeah. heaven or, you know, because it's all so, uh, you know, metaphorical and uses imagery and uh, it's not super clear. And it doesn't, I don't think it says as much as people think it does, mm-hmm. you know, about all of that, the details. I mean, Jesus comes back after being gone for three days and doesn't say anything to the disciples about what happened. Right. Like, he says, we got work to do. We got disciples to make, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think we should explore it and, and engage with it and talk about it. But I think we have to be careful to like... like Settle people, in. People, yeah. I mean, I remember this guy wrote this really big book on heaven that everybody loves. Like Randy Alcorn, I think. And everybody was like, this guy's got it. And I'm like, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. like it's... Uh, I don't think it's that clear, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's clear enough to give us hope. Mm-hmm. You know, but I don't think it's clear enough to, to so that we become dogmatic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question for you. You do? Are you done with universalism, or do you have yeah, anything probably, else in the vault? I'll leave it there, and I can imagine people would have more questions about it. Hit me up. Okay. We'll go to coffee. Okay. Um, we kind of uh, got to the point that that uh, forgiveness is given. Mm-hmm. It's unconditional. Mm-hmm. So. In Matthew, Jesus teaches to forgive others so God can forgive us, mm. which I'm sure is in line with Jewish 
thinking of that day mm-hmm. that forgiveness needed or apologies needed to be sincere mm-hmm. in order to be forgiven. Yeah. Um, but now, since we acknowledge that forgiveness from God is given unconditionally, mm-hmm. did Jesus's death make that specific teaching outdated? Or is it a contradiction? Hmm. Or am I missing the point? No, I see, I see what you're saying. Um, that phrase, the way Jesus says it, sounds very conditional, transactional. Mm-hmm. Like, if you forgive, then God will forgive. Mm-hmm. But you have to, like, hold it in light of everything else Jesus said. Particularly, that's Sermon on the Mount stuff. And all over the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it clear, like, God's grace and love and goodwill towards people is not conditional. I mean, you know, he says God sends good to the just and the unjust, like sends rain to the, the wicked and the righteous. Like God's love for people and acceptance of people is not conditional. So then how do you understand this? I think the way I've come to understand that is, and I think this flows out of Jesus's understanding of this, you know, our life with God and our life with one another aren't separate. Mm-hmm. They're linked. You know, this is Jesus's number one command, love your neighbor as yourself, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, our vertical life, horizontal life are interconnected. So when we close ourselves off in one direction, we put a kink in the hose in the other direction too, mm-hmm. right? And I think from our own lived experiences, man, people who who shut themselves off towards extending grace usually have a really hard time receiving it too. You know, yeah. people who hold grudges, people who, you know, are stingy with grace. Not only are they stingy in giving it, but man, they tend to be stingy in receiving it too. You know, they have a hard time forgiving themselves. They have a hard time allowing other people to forgive them. So I think Jesus is getting at that, that mm-hmm. like when you shut yourself off towards others, you're also closing the part of you up that receives grace from God. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I, I don't think Jesus is... is based on everything else he says and other teachings and other images he gives us of God and forgiveness and life in the kingdom, you know, it is not conditional. Um, I think about it more, like, less transactional, less conditional, and more relational, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, You're living in the flow or you're not, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, you're in the river or you're not in the river kind of thing. Like, this is what what it looks like to live in step with the kingdom, you know? And when you choose not to do that, well, you're choosing to be outside of how the whole thing flows. Not that it isn't available to you. You've just stepped out of it. Well, and I think it would it would muddy the waters if it was conditional mm-hmm. because your motivation then would be more um, selfish. Like, mm-hmm. I got to live up to God's expectations and mm-hmm. follow Jesus' teaching because this is what I have to do because of this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. But making it forgiveness unconditional you're choosing to do things mm-hmm. because you know it's the better and the more beautiful way mm. to do it. Yeah. Well, it's like something can be true, but not real. Uh, I mean, an example of that would be, have you, like, have you ever been to Australia? I have not. Okay. Have you? No. Oh. But it exists, right? Ah. Uh. Like Australia is true. Mm-hmm. It's a continent, you know, but it's not real to you. Because you haven't been there. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I do. I think it's that way, like, particularly with when it comes to things of salvation. They're already true. Like, you're a new creation in Christ. You're forgiven. You can, you know, you have freedom from all of this stuff. Like, 
That is true in a metaphysical and very like very actual way. But that doesn't mean it's experience is reality in your life mm-hmm. because you haven't surrendered to it. You haven't opened yourself up to it. So I know like there's so many people, you're, the, the truth of your forgiveness is even people right now who want nothing to do with God or, you know, whatever, they, they're just, they've chosen to live a life completely opposite of the way of God, they, you know, the truth of their, there's still, there's still forgiveness. Like the forgiveness is already theirs. Like it's already been, been mm-hmm. offered, but it doesn't mean they're living in, re, in the reality of that. Right. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's like being at a restaurant and the, and the waitress comes to you and says, hey, it's already been taken care of, right? But you keep insisting on paying the bill anyway. Mm-hmm. See, like the truth is, the bill's been taken care of, but that person's not choosing to live Acknowledging in the it, reality Receiving of it. it. Yeah, the reality. What it does, you mm-hmm. know, do, yeah. leaning into what it does to you when right. something has been taken care of. Yeah. You. So like Paul says like this, let, let, us, let us live up to what we've already obtained. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, this has already been given. It's already yours. You know, live into it now, and that's that's what the life of faith is about: learning to live into this new thing that's been opened up to us because of Jesus. Yeah. You know, I love that you referred to it as reckless grace, mm. because as humans, it does seem reckless to us mm-hmm. because we want people to be sincere in their efforts for forgiveness, mm-hmm. and you know, we kind of get in the way. Or our fear of like someone needs to learn their lesson, or did they really learn what they needed to learn? If we, especially if we forgive too soon, mm-hmm. um, and I think the concept of God's reckless grace and forgiving forgiveness is freeing. Mm-hmm. But why are we holding people to standards that God doesn't? Why mm-hmm. is that such human nature? Yeah, well, I think you know where, of course, we are different from God is we are finite, we have limits to how much we can bear, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I had a great question get sent in through email, and I need to reply. I'm rep- if you're listening, I'm planning on replying. Um, but the question has something to do with, like, so are you saying we don't need to atone for our sins? Which, to me, I'm a first question, I, well, what, what, in what direction? Like, I think the announcement of the gospel when it comes to us and God They've already been covered over. It's mm-hmm. already been atoned for. Like it's been covered over, you know. And I think that I think there's a, there's a reality to that. Like I do think Jesus' death on the cross atones, pays some sort of penalty for our sins, you know. But I don't think the payment is like cooling God off because He's so mad. Right. Um, I think if it's more of a liberation from from our sins, the control they have on us, you know, when we entrust God's saving love that's revealed to us in Jesus. Something in us, something breaks. The control breaks. We're liberated. But then you then you think about atonement between people. You know, when we hurt people, we wrong people. Like people hear, I got to atone for my sins. I don't think that's possible. What do you mean? Well, often when something when when we say things like that, there's been a relational wound mm-hmm. that's taken place, and something's been taken that probably can't be given back anyway. Time, uh, you know, that normal, whatever it was, doesn't really exist anymore. You know, like when you've, so when you talk about atonement, it's like, I, I, you got to get it out of your head that there's something that they could do that would undo what's been done. Right. It's not possible. Now, I think you can make amends, which is about like, 
as to, to the extent that's even possible where you, you know, you do express sorrow um, mm-hmm. and you do even try to make it up in some way. Like, you, I think there are ways in which you can attempt that, but the idea of atonement is like, there, I don't think there's anything they could ever do that can give back what was taken. Yep. It's gone, you know? So that's why forgiveness, I love what Timothy Keller calls it. He's like, it's willing, it's willing, it's willing suffering. There's suffering that has to take place when you forgive. You choose to forgive somebody mm-hmm. because you're acknowledging something's been taken from you that's never going to come back. But I'm deciding not to not to repay the wound, you know, and to sort of send that away. Mm-hmm. I love that honesty about forgiveness. Yeah, you know, because I think about people who struggle struggle forgiving their parents. Like, there's nothing your parent can do that can give you your childhood back. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't. Like, they cannot. But they can acknowledge the hurt that it caused and attempt to be better in that direction from there on out. But even that, that doesn't automatically take you back in time and relive your child. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know that we can pay it back ever. Uh, um, yeah, at 100%, for sure. So there's going to have to be a decision on the part of the person who's been hurt. Yeah. What are you going to do with that? You know, are you going to cover it over? Are you going to send it away? Or are you going to, you know, live in a way that's attempting to get back at them, you know, for what they did. Yeah. Do you think people who have wronged other people, if they fully grasp that, like, 100% atonement isn't achievable, how do you think that would sit in the grief and shame, specifically shame part? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of the hardest parts of this whole conversation. You know, we talk often about, those of us who have to forgive people for hurting us, you know? Mm-hmm. But then the other side of it is the people who've done the hurting, learning to accept that forgiveness, you know, and even then begin to, to forgive themselves. I think that has to be a necessary part of the conversation. I've found that it it doesn't seem to land until much later, mm-hmm. you know, because there is, when somebody really is sorry for hurting somebody, there's an urgency that drives them to want to express that sorrow and even try to make it up. And it takes a while for that urgency to burn off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're convinced they can and they're going to work to do it usually. Um, but years later when the guilt and regret still kind of haunting them, I think they're a bit, they're usually a bit more receptive to a conversation around like, okay, now we need to talk about you forgiving yourself. Yeah. And you allowing God to forgive you. There's forgiveness is like layered, you mm-hmm. know. It's not something that we just do right away. It's there's so many layers to it, um, and angles. It's complicated business. Mm-hmm.